church, I know that so much in our world right now is in flux and abnormal, but, but we're going to do right now what we normally do, which is to look at the Word of God together. So if you've got a Bible and you want to go to Luke chapter 23, you can. The, the words to those passages will also be on the screen as we go along. But let me invite you, if you've got a Bible at home and want to open that on your lap, to go ahead and do that. If you're not from Highland, I'm going to I'm going to tell you a little bit about a family here. This is a really special family to us. And those at Highland certainly know David and Christina Yowsey. <clears throat> Christina sings on our praise team. She, she loves to worship. In fact, she's one of those people that even when she's not on the praise team, she'll be down front, down here on the second row of our worship space, just with arms lifted in praise and worship to God. She loves to worship. Well, a few months ago, really about a year ago now, <clears throat> she and David learned that they were pregnant. They were so just overjoyed at that news. They have a daughter, a little bit older daughter, and they have been longing for a child again, another child. And here was this blessing. They were praising God. And then a few months later, they found out that baby is that baby girl was still being formed in her mother's womb. That baby was diagnosed with a condition called T18. Most babies with T18 don't survive. And they were heartbroken. Like the rest of the church, we were all heartbroken. We were all looking forward to the birth of this child and our hearts were heavy. And so as a church, we began to pray that God would be glorified in this baby girl in ways we couldn't predict or expect I'll tell you, a little over a month ago, baby Siobhan was born, and she's doing well. <laughs> Praise God. God has been glorified in this baby girl, but because baby Siobhan does have some health challenges, she was under strict rules not to go out into public and be exposed to public germs even before this coronavirus epidemic. So it was going to be at least three months before Christina could bring Siobhan to worship with her and our Highland family. And now with this pandemic, who knows how long it might be. And to them, each day is a gift and they, and they don't know what to expect in each day. And they longed to bring her here to worship with us. And so I noticed a comment on a, on a post about our, our Sunday morning stream a couple weeks ago that Christina posted on that, on that post how special it was to worship with baby Siobhan and her church family. Oh, you know, the thought of that, of that sweet baby girl on her mother's lap, looking up at her mom in her living room as she praises God with arms raised, it's, it's about more than I can stand, right? It's about more than I can stand. Man, what a grace from God. You know, God is doing special things right now in this moment. When there's so much uncertainty, there's even suffering all around us, God continues to show up and do the amazing. And of course, of course, God is doing amazing things in this moment of uncertainty and suffering because that's who God is. That is what God has always done. And you know, we see that nowhere more clearly than at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're in a series right now on the last week of Jesus's life. And if you've missed other sermons in that series, they're all posted online. I invite you to go back and look at them. Last week, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, which happens late Thursday night, that last Thursday before Jesus' crucifixion. 
And today we'll move to the cross itself. And I know that in doing that, we're skipping over a lot that happens on Friday. We have Jesus' trials, his arrest, which happens late Thursday night, Friday. And I know that to skip over that is to miss so much that is so important. So I wanna challenge you to go back and read those passages when you're able. But here's what I know, and here's why I wanna spend two weeks on the cross. Paul said this about the cross of Jesus. He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. And that's why Paul said that he was gonna preach just one thing, Jesus Christ crucified. So we can't spend enough time on the cross church. And so while while everything else is in flux around us, what we're going to do is we are going to drill into what is most important and most central to our faith, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So in Luke 23, we pick up the scene as Jesus is on his way to be crucified. Here's what we read in Luke 23, starting in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. When I was baptized, my grandmother sent me this golden cross on a golden chain that I wore around my neck proudly for years. And uh, now my boys actually wear that cross around the house. We don't let them wear it out. And by God's grace, that cross has not been broken or lost yet. I'm especially thankful for that because last year my grandmother passed away and that, that cross is even more special to me now. My boys know that Eric's Mimi gave him that cross. You know, the thing about a cross is that it is, it is synonymous with our faith as Christians. You know, most of you probably have a a cross that hangs around your neck or that hangs in your house. Or I think about the cross at the front of our worship space here at Highland, the one that we look at as we worship together each week. You know, a cross is synonymous. The cross of Jesus is synonymous with who we are and what we believe as Christians. And so it's really difficult, you know, 2,000 years removed from the horror of the cross for me to fully articulate how much of a scandal it is that the cross is the centerpiece of our faith. The cross was designed for humiliation and torture. We have laws now that 
and prevent the humiliation and torture of prisoners and inmates, but Rome did not have laws like that. That was the purpose of the cross, was humiliation and torture. You can imagine um, a prisoner <clears throat> hanging naked on a roadside as onlookers gather around and just intentionally hurl insults at this person who struggles to breathe his last breaths. That's part of the ritual. It is designed for humiliation. Fleming Rutledge said this about the cross. She said, the cross is the most irreligious, unspiritual object ever to find its way into the heart of faith. How is it you know, that an object of torture and humiliation and punishment like that was ever created, you know, let alone found its way into the center of our faith. You know, here's the thing about a cross. What it reveals is the worst of humanity. That desire not only to insult and ridicule and deride, but to cause agony and grief and pain and even death. A cross is the symbol of the very worst that's inside us. Some of you might be on Netflix and Netflix recently released a new series called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. I can't bring myself to watch it. I know what it's about. It's about this little eight-year-old boy, Gabriel, who was mistreated, tortured, and even killed by the very people who were meant to protect him. And I'll tell you, that is not what God intends for his children. And that's why the Highland Church believes that as Christians, we are called to stand in the gap for vulnerable kids all around us. And we do that in a variety of ways through foster care support, adoption support, through ministries to our local schools and others. We believe we are called to stand in the gap for those who are suffering. But here's what's going to happen with that Netflix series. A lot of people are going to watch it and hear this story of this precious boy, Gabriel, and they're going to be horrified by what they see in those who mistreated him. And in that moment of horror, strangely, they will also be consoled because they'll think to themselves, I'm so glad I don't have that kind of evil in me. I'm so glad that doesn't exist in here. And I think that phenomenon is the same one that plays out when we read about the cross of Jesus Christ and the horrible way that he was treated by Roman and Jewish authorities. And we think to ourselves, I am so glad that evil, that sin is not in me, that it's not in here. You know, you, know, you think about the, the criminal who mocks Jesus at Jesus's side, hurling insults at him. And we comfort ourselves and we say, I would never, I would never, never have done that. I'm so glad that's not me, right? So, so that's why you don't want to go to a good therapist. <laughs> that's why you never want to see a good therapist because the thing that happens when you go to therapy is you go in there and you are sure that everyone else in your life is the problem and you leave realizing, nope, the problem is me, Right? That's what a good therapist does, is they, they hold up this mirror and you're able to see yourself more clearly and realize the ways that what's going on inside of you is contributing to the problems outside 
all around you, the brokenness you see all around. You know what else will do that? Prayer. If you can get quiet and intentionally focus on Jesus Christ, you know, this perfect one, this gracious and good one who hangs on the cross, what tends to happen in times of prayer like that is that you see not only Jesus more clearly, but you see yourself in starker relief. And you recognize what is in you that was not in that man on the cross. In fact, that's what's happening to the, to the other criminal on the cross as he looks at Jesus and sees this man who is not suffering because of something he deserved, who sees this man who, who forgives the very people who are suffering, who are causing the suffering he's enduring. And that prisoner realizes that none of that is in him. Those same impulses of forgiveness and love and graciousness are not in him, and yet they are in this man who is suffering right alongside him. And seeing that in himself is why he asked that Jesus would remember him. Right? During the Iraq war in 2002, a, a military chaplain delivered a, a sermon to a small gathering of troops in Southern Iraq. And he said this to those troops, he said, we still have some enemies to deal with, enemies up north, but truth be told, a lot of our enemies are not up north. A lot of our enemies are in here, in our heart. Man, how true that is, right? And that's what the cross does. It's a, it's a mirror. And as God holds up that mirror and we look at the cross, what actually happens is that we see ourselves a lot more clearly you know, yes, the, the cross shows us the worst of humanity, but we realize that that same seed, that seed that we have congratulated ourselves that is not growing inside us, we realize when we look at the cross, nope, nope, those same seeds of evil are planted right here in the sin of my own heart. When my boys and I play cops and robbers or good guys and bad guys in the backyard. What I've noticed <clears throat> is that the longer the game goes on, the harder it is to remember if you're a good guy or a bad guy because we're all doing the same things. We're all fighting and running and hiding and stealing and taking, right? We're all doing the same things until we don't even realize anymore who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. How true of life that is. So often we don't even know what we're doing. And the words of Jesus Christ from the cross ring out over us. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. If you're listening right now and, and you don't know Jesus, what I want you to know is that this here, this forgiveness and this cross that these are for you. Whether you know it or not, what Jesus is doing, what he is saying from this cross, he is doing and he is saying for you. <clears throat> we often call this scene the passion of the Christ. What we mean by that is the passionate suffering that Jesus endures on the cross. You see that in the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, which focuses on the, the physical torture that Jesus endures. <clears throat> but 
But that's not the only way to think about passion, and it is not the only sense in which passion is true here, because what we see on the cross, in addition to passionate suffering, is the passionate, unwavering love of God for his creation. That God would endure this sin and shame and humiliation and torture for us is not only evidence of his willingness to suffer, but greater It's his evidence of his love for us, his passionate and unrelenting love. That's what we see at the cross. And it makes me wonder if that's what Paul meant when he said the cross is the power of God. Paul says this about love. He says love is patient. He says love is kind. He says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And and that may be what we see at the cross more clearly than we even see ourselves is this love that is willing to endure all things, all things for your sake and for my sake. You know, here's this criminal at Jesus' side and Matthew and Mark actually tell us he's, he's not just a criminal, he's a bandit. It's its own word. And what a bandit means is a violent criminal. You know, somebody who's not just trying to steal, but is as willing to kill as he is to steal. And here's this criminal who does not have time to make amends for everything he's done wrong in his life. There's no time to do penance. There's no time to right all his wrongs. The only thing he has the time and energy to do is to look on Jesus and believe in him and ask that Jesus would remember him when he comes into glory, when he comes into his kingdom. And notice what Jesus does not say. You know, Jesus doesn't say, uh, well, you're, what, you're a bad guy. And, you know, I don't, I don't tend to remember bad guys. Or you, you want me to remember you? Oh, man, some people, they're just too far gone, buddy. I'm sorry, that's you. You should have done that before you got up here on this cross. Well, actually, but I'm keeping a list. I've been checking it twice, and you're on the naughty list. You want me to remember you, a sinner like you? He could have said that. You know, John 2 tells, tells us that Jesus knows what is inside every person. And he could have run down the laundry list of this guy's offenses that he does not have time to make up for. And Jesus doesn't say any of that. He looks at him and he says, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Who's the bad guy in this story? It's me. And it's you. It's all of us. We're all the the bad guy, as much as we want to make ourselves the good guy. We're all a bad guy, bad girl. St. Ignatius was the the founder of the Jesuits. And you're familiar with the Jesuits, an order among Catholics that has taken the gospel to the farthest reaches of the earth, maybe the most um, driven missionary group of all time. And what you may not know about the Jesuits is that that missionary zeal to take the gospel to the ends of the earth comes from one thing that every Jesuit is required to do daily. And that is a a constant and intentional time of prayer on the cross of Jesus Christ. Ignatius had this, this, this practice he called his exercises and it's several weeks of intentional prayer. And you know what you do the first week? You think about, sin. You start and you think about the sin of the angels who rebelled against God before time began. 
And then you go to the garden and you think about the sin of Adam and Eve who rebel against God by doing what he's instructed them not to do. And then what you do is you imagine yourself at the foot of the cross with, with what we read is Christ our Lord is present and placed on the cross before you. And you sit there and you imagine him there and what happens is that slowly you are convicted by and overwhelmed by your sin in the presence of this one who would die for you. Your sin and rebellion against the infinite goodness you see before you, that's what you think about the first week. It's not a very fun week, <laughs> to be honest. But here's the deal, church. You will never savor the cross of Jesus Christ until you know what is inside you. And that's what the cross calls us to. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we read in chapter 12 that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Whose shame is Jesus enduring and scorning on the cross? He's up there being ridiculed, humiliated, naked, hanging in front of all of these people. Whose shame is that that he's enduring? Because he didn't deserve that shame, right? It's, it's my shame he's enduring on the cross. Like we sing, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. You know that song, don't you? How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he would send his, give his only son to make a, a wretch his treasure. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. and His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it's finished. The criminal at Jesus' side asks that Jesus would remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And in scripture, that word remember doesn't just mean call to mind or to think about from time to time. When God remembers someone, it means he does whatever it takes to save them. God's memory is active. When he remembers us, he goes into motion. He will stop at nothing to save those he remembers. He would even die to save them as we see at the cross. And what this criminal realizes, as Jesus tells him truly, today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. What he realizes is that in this innocent man, hanging beside him, enduring the worst of humanity, that in him, God has remembered him, that God has remembered us all, that what happens on that cross is for his forgiveness, for your forgiveness, and for mine, that on that cross, God remembers us, and that he has come to save us. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to hear me today when I say that these words, this cross, is for you. 
that His forgiveness is for you, whether you know it or not. And that His desire is that you would receive that forgiveness, that you would be baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that your sins would be forgiven as well. And church, if you're in your home right now, maybe with your family, uh, maybe just alone with your Bible, let me challenge you to dig deep here into the cross as we take communion together, even though we're scattered about our city and around the world. At this moment, we're all gonna be taking the Lord's Supper together when we remember that on this cross, his body was broken and his blood was shed that you and I might be forgiven and to be with him eternally. What a joy, what a grace. Go and spend time with the Lord and those you love. May God be with you.